0: I'm just a teenage Dirtbag Baby du, 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 du. You always pick songs <laughs> that You don't actually know the lyrics to <laughs> You told me to sing a teenage ween Or whatever What? <laughs> I told
1: you to sing a spooky Halloween song. <laughs>
0: Welcome to the Up for <laughs> Discussion podcast. My name is Tim Blake. I'm Tom And Here we have a special guest with us. We have a guy. His name is Alex Smith. Alex oh, Smith. shit! Welcome I, back. I hey. never actually knew your last name. Yep, it's Smith. That's cool. It's it's good. That's mm-hmm. a good name, guys. It's it's not the usual time that we're recording this podcast. We're recording it during the daytime. No. Early morning. The early morning of 1 p.m. 1 p.m. <laughs> Post-meridian? And that makes me sad
1: and tired. What, is, what does p.m. stand for? Post-meridian. Is it? Yeah, and anti-meridian
2: is a.m. Oh. Since noon is the meridian of the day.
0: I thought it was just at morning and post-morning. I don't
2: know that that the eye roll like, that I just did translated like, into podcast Maybe town,
0: all but morning? <laughs>
1: not in fact actually oh. morning and probably not morning <laughs> uh probably morning though let's be real oh, oh man i am a snoozy boy this morning i was thinking about the word zebra mm-hmm. and, and just how, uh, over
0: and over as you do yeah
1: and in, and how zebra. in posher places they pronounce it zebra mm. and i wondered if anybody's ever named their daughter debra <laughs> so that's my joke for the day.
0: Like Deborah, Deborah, Deborah. Isn't don't they actually pronounce zebra in like the places where there are zebras? Yes, they do. <laughs> so it is much closer to the
2: actual word that zebra is derived from. <laughs>
0: right, so we're just wrong. Yeah. Yes. Okay. That doesn't I mean, I guess that's posh, but it's it's also correct. Yeah. Also, is posh a word that posh people use? I feel like it's like It's like a very specifically used by people who aren't posh to describe people who are. It's kind of like cool like that. Nobody who is cool is going to describe themselves as being
2: cool. I'm cool. Mm. Exactly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So, Alex, what have you been thinking about? What are your thoughts? Tell me
0: your deepest, darkest thoughts. Good Lord. Um, (laughs) Maybe start with some happier thoughts. We, We can get there. Okay. Um As per
2: usual, in my life, I have been focusing a lot over the weekend on, one, RuPaul's Drag Race, and, two, on the illegitimacy of all Western states in light of the fall of the Eastern Roman Empire.
0: Um, explain either one of those, actually. That sounds good. Can you draw a correlation between the two? Yes, actually. I'm excited. This sounds like fun.
2: This, uh, may take a bit of a trip, but, uh... I'll do what I can. So, first of all, RuPaul's Drag Race, uh, I have just recently gotten heavily, heavily into, uh, along with my partner Andres. It is, in our estimation, the greatest thing on television. All right. Is it still running? Oh, yes. Okay. We're only towards the end of season three now, but they're up to season eight. Nice. And they also have RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars, where they bring back people who placed pretty high in previous seasons to compete against each other. And, yeah, it's a fun time all around. Production values are sort of all over the place, but it's uh, boys in dresses being fantastic. Sounds good. Yep. Um, so, to connect this to the Eastern Roman Empire in as few steps as humanly possible. So, right off the bat, um, we tend to think of Rome having fallen Uh, in around the 4th century AD with the collapse of the Western Roman Empire and the abdication of the imperial throne to I don't quite remember who. Um, And that this is a pivotal part of our historical narrative in the West. Right. Um, The idea that Rome has to fall so that we can then, in this fictitious period we like to call the Renaissance, pick back up the mantle of Rome and become conquerors of worlds and go off spreading culture left, right, and center because we have reinvented all the glory that was Rome. This is largely fictitious since the glory that was Rome never stopped being the glory that was Rome until 1467. Wow. Yeah. Uh, The Eastern Roman Empire stuck around for a long time and nearly made it to the discovery of the New World. In fact, it's quite possible they already knew about it in some degree since um, the personal guards of emperors, the Varangian Guard, was largely composed of Russians and Scandinavians who formed the bulk of the people who were exploring the Americas in the 10th and 11th centuries. Ah, true. Yeah. Um, so, in the 9th century, the greatest of all emperors of the Eastern Empire, Justinian, uh, reconquers Rome. In point of fact, Justinian gets the Eastern Empire to be bigger in some areas than it was in like what we classically think of as the Roman Empire. He pushes further into Spain than his predecessors did. He takes back all of Italy, and well, most of Italy, and he loses it again pretty quickly. But, to bring this to RuPaul's Drag Race quickly, his wife, Theodora, was what was known in uh, Eastern Roman or Byzantine society as an Erotic pantomime. Pantomime. Yes. Mm. Um, which is their sort of catch-all term for dancer and prostitute and actress. Okay. Since the um, medieval Romans really liked their burlesque shows. I see. <laughs> With a heavy focus on mime, because mm. ain't nothing sexier than mime. It's true. That's what I always say. I'm into it. Mm-hmm. Mr. Mime. And uh, certainly what we know about the aesthetic of the time, I would strongly imagine that they kind of look like drag queens. Hmm. Huh. Um yeah. So that ties it to RuPaul, but not to what actually got me thinking about this in the first place. Basically, <laughs> right. yeah.
0: So to tell us tell us what your thoughts are about the the illegitimacy of western states. Ah, excellent. So, this is actually
2: really funny because a friend of mine was like oh yeah you'll totally manage to talk about the byzantines just give it like 10 minutes (laughs) well Well, we gave you we we tore the door wide open this is very true um (laughs) so basically the eastern roman empire spends nearly a millennium as this bulwark protecting western europe right um They continue to fight off the Persian Empire that was the continuous thorn in the side of the Roman Empire in its heyday up until the fall of the Persian Empire to the early Caliphate. Mm. Um, And then as the armies of the Caliphate get their things together and start to march north because, you know, they were given a dying order to bring the Romans to Islam, Mm. which they set out for wholeheartedly. But they couldn't go the easy way through the heartlands of the empire in Anatolia because they were really important. A lot of important cities to early Christianity are there, like Antioch, and it's kind of the empire's breadbasket along with North Africa. So they go the long way around. Mm. Like, the entire reason Spain gets conquered by Muslims eventually is because they could not go the easy way directly into Europe and had to conquer their way through North Africa Oh, interesting. And then cross the Straits of Gibraltar. Okay. Basically, taking the path of least resistance <clears throat> since the North African provinces of the empire were generally less well protected. As you do when you want to get into Europe while playing Risk. Exactly. Whoa. Yeah. So um, that all happens, and the Eastern Romans are there just sort of being a legitimate continuation of antiquity and advancing that. For a thousand years, this is a civilization where all the classic authors are never lost, Mm. where literacy is never lost. And there's near universal literacy from the middle class up. This is a society with women doctors and that advances medicine and science and art and architecture to heretofore unseen heights. Like the word that most of the Scandinavians used for Constantinople in this period just means the city because it was the only frame of reference for what a city could possibly be. And this is a city with millions of people at this point. It is the biggest, richest, most powerful place that has ever existed for centuries. And the West is there sort of feeling things out in the collapse of central Roman authority and making the best of a bad situation. But over time, a lot of resentment starts to build up. Mm. And they see the East less and less as a legitimate continuation of the Roman state and more as pretenders to it because they clearly in the West are the successors to Rome. Right. (laughs) Um, So this sort of comes to a head with the Great Schism and with the launch of the Crusades, um, largely through poor communication with the Eastern Empire. Um, The First Crusade, for example, started after a simple request for a handful of mercenaries to come help them retake Antioch. They were not expecting 400,000 people to show up (laughs) on the Bosphorus. Yikes. Yeah. It was a fun time all around. So they do their thing. They're advancing civilization. They are being insulted left and right. The term Romanian is invented by the Catholic Church. Well, the Western Orthodox Church at that point, because they hadn't really splintered yet by the time they started calling them Romanians, just to not have to call them Romans. Okay. Because they were like, yeah, you're not really Roman enough. ...to be called this. Interesting. You're not Roman enough for the Rome Club. Exactly. Mm -hmm. We are the Roman Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. You're not. So, this goes on, and this goes on, and they hold the line. They hold the line for nearly a thousand years, including a brief period where, like, the core of the empire is completely taken. Like, the Fourth Crusade is a bit of a disaster. They sack Constantinople and install the Latin Empire there, and the emperors sort of live on in hiding in Nicaea and a couple of other cities. Eventually they retake Constantinople. The empire is kind of on its last legs at this point. The last couple of centuries are one big mess. But ultimately, they still have a certain legitimacy. Like, the papacy invented the Holy Roman Empire just to reward Charlemagne, largely on a technicality, since the seat of Constantinople was being occupied by the empress... Irene, I want to say. I will I, let you say that. Excellent. Um, who was the first female to hold the office. And so the pape, the pape, the pope, <laughs> the pape, <laughs> was like, pape oh no, print. this is illegitimate. Clearly the throne is vacant. So Charlemagne, you can be emperor. And then Irene ah. was like, good God, man, what did you just do? First of all, you are one among five. You are not even first among equals. Why did you think you could do that? Mm -hmm. But I will let that slide. The idea of there being two emperors again for the first time in like 800 years is horrifying. So, Charlemagne, please marry me. Like, oh, that's a doorbell. I'll get that um, while you
1: continue this story. Thank you.
2: And they try and their respective courts are against it because the Western bias against the Eastern, basically, civilization at this point is pretty high, and in the East they're like, why would you want to marry this uncultured barbarian? He can't ah. even sign his own name. <laughs> you wrote a letter of proposal to him, he had someone else write a proposal back, and then signed his name through a stencil. Alright. Um, But yeah, that all goes down. I'm trying to make as much sense as possible here. I think I have a fever, so I'm uh trying to keep thoughts coherent. You're doing a pretty good job. Excellent. So... We arrive at the dying days of the empire. And so, right now, medieval Europe is still basically being medieval Europe. And the Eastern Empire has spent the last, I want to say, 50, 60 years asking everybody. Like, more than two emperors have gone on fundraising campaigns all over the West, trying desperately to find support and find money. This is like 1300s, something like that? Yes, this is the 1300s and the early 1400s. And so they're nearly bankrupt, as is frequently the case. The Imperial Army is on its last legs. And Offman. oh,
0: excellent. That is quite a sight. It would be nice if we had cameras rolling right now. Tom has just walked in with the successor to the Cardinal bird mask. It's a really
1: small pigeon mask. It's a, yeah, it's
0: a bit odd. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what your, uh, where does this come from? Uh, that's what was at the door just now. <laughs> I see. Excellent. It's so the successor to the Holy Roman Empire. <clears throat> to, um, no. No, no.
2: Um, oh, off, I was talking about the pigeon. I don't know what you are oh, talking about. Oh, yes, of course. Um, the pigeon is the successor to the Holy Roman Empire, long since dead at Napoleon's hands. Yes. Which is also kind of fantastic. That A-Roman Empire, no matter how dubious and non-Roman it was, managed to survive into the 18th century. mm mm-hmm. um, Back on point, Othman has managed to, you know, bring together all of the various, various, various Turkish tribes into basically the start of what's going to be the Ottoman Empire they have conquered. Most of Anatolia at this point, and the extent of the empire is basically just the greater Constantinople area and a couple of cities in southern Greece.
0: Can you describe to me what Anatolia
2: consists of? Anatolia is like the area we think of as Turkey today on the eastern side of the Bosphorus. Right. Basically classical Asia Minor. All right. Mm -hmm. Um, There were air quotes there.
1: So. Wait, what? Back then?
2: Yeah, yes, back exactly. The there were air quotes back then. Oh, I thought you said airports. No. <laughs> there were airports <laughs> in myself. Anatolia. Yes, not in fact. So,
1: it's my other band.
2: Um they come and the final push is finally falling on Constantinople. And the emperor, the last emperor, Michael Palaiologos the 13th, sends out one last desperate cry for help. All he receives are and I may be getting this number wrong, but it is a pitifully small number. 80 Genoese mercenaries. Wow. Nobody else in all of Europe shows up. And they're they're pleading with them. They have spent a thousand years protecting them while Western Europe tried to get its act together. Mm. And they've been whittled away at and whittled away at and whittled away at until all that's left is the living heart of the empire itself, the city, Constantinople. And nobody's willing to come help them except 80 Genoese mercenaries. (laughs) And so they're there the night before the final push on Constantinople and praying in the Hagia Sophia. And for one night, one night where it really seems like the world is about to end, Because Rome is about to end. Rome that has lived for 2,000 years is on its dying breath. And it doesn't matter if you're Orthodox or Catholic for this night. Everybody is praying together because everybody doesn't know what the future is going to hold. The status quo of the entire world is about to turn over. And dawn rises on the Bosphorus and... The Ottomans, with the first siege cannons in history that have ripped apart the walls that have protected the city all this time, make their march. Michael the XIII charges into battle and his body is never found. And very quickly it becomes clear that the day is lost, that Rome will die this day. And so the order is given to retreat. And everybody, everybody in the city who can who hasn't evacuated already, runs out with everything that they can grab. All of their libraries, all of these great works of literature and theology and philosophy and history and medicine and architecture, they take with them. What we think of as the Renaissance, for the large part, is really an immigration crisis Western Europe faced when all of... (laughs) Like the former citizens of the Roman Empire, like what we would think of today as Greeks, fled into Italy and Germany and other nearby countries, carrying with them their libraries from a society that never lost the classics. And we have the audacity to call ourselves the successors of Rome when all we have done is stolen from the dying hands of its corpse. Um all of their knowledge and all of their successes. We don't even call them the Eastern Roman Empire when we talk about history this way. We call them the Byzantines because the first real like Western historian to cover these topics, Hieronymus Wolf, didn't think that they were worthy enough to be called Romans. So he took the old name of Constantinople before it was rechristened as Nova Roma by Constantine, Byzantium, and applied it to the empire so that nobody would ever mistake these people, these convoluted and confused backwards people, for those heroes of the West, the Romans. And that just just makes me angry when ultimately all of the Western monarchies are ostensibly backed in part on a legitimacy that they were given as Former Roman states, We there's a reason all of the Western European languages are called Romance languages. Right. Uh, being part of the empire influenced the culture of this entire region. And a lot of the infrastructure that was there that had to be adapted to a medieval, to a feudal society, is a result of the groundwork the Romans already laid. And feudalism itself is something that originated in the Roman Empire. Economic crises in the 3rd century led to basically the institution of proto-feudalism when people became landlocked and trade-locked, wherein if your father did something, then you would also do that same thing. And a lot of the economic structures of feudalism aren't even a Western invention in that way. They they predate the Middle Ages and are themselves Roman products. Mm. And when everything about your culture, when everything about your history has to do with Rome in this palpable way the idea that you can take credit for it when not only did you ignore them not only did you take shelter behind them but you had the gall to stab them in the back many many times mm. i just when i realized that when i first started to learn about the eastern empire it completely changed the the narrative of history for me right. and I haven't been able to look at it the same way ever since. And uh, that's much ado about
0: Rome. Can you, like, uh, come to my sister's place and, like, like, just tell my two-year-old niece bedtime stories about, like, history and the fall of Rome? Yes. I think that would be absolutely fantastic. I would love to. <laughs> Man, yeah. I'm uh, thirty dollars an hour. All right. Well, I'm glad we're getting you on this podcast for free.
1: Also, shout out to your niece whose birthday is today.
0: That's true. It's no. It's it is today. Whoa! Yeah. Happy birthday, Anya. Happy um, birthday, Tim. Niece. You can you can come back and listen to this when your teachers start telling you the the vanilla <laughs> flavors of history, <laughs> and they're like, oh yeah, the Renaissance, and we're like, wait a second. Mm-hmm. Go Ain't talk to, no such thing. Go to talk to Uncle Alex. He'll set you straight. <laughs> <laughs> That's fascinating, though. That's wild. Thank you. And also, have you ever considered doing a podcast of your own? Uh, Occasionally, yes. I do. I would produce that if you if you wanted to do that. Awesome. I would also listen to that Mm -hmm. on a regular basis. Thank you. You're You're like you're like Dan Carlin, but I like you better. (laughs) So, what do you what do you think? What implication do you think that has for like the present day? That sort of, the, hmm. like, yeah, that fact that we have in some sense. I, I guess there's two questions that I'm interested in. One is, do you, what what legitimacy did Rome, like, where did the legitimacy of Rome come from that it could grant it to, hmm. um, like, to to any, anyone else. to anyone at all? And second, like, what implication does that have for sort of the way that the world currently is?
2: Well... For your first question, I suppose it's ultimately arbitrary. Rome's power was in its own way arbitrary and just a function of its particular military and economic might in the context in which it existed and then exerted that over other people. And as those peoples became integrated into Roman culture and gave arbitrary value to its institutions and its authority to assert power, then... They can naturally receive it through there, but ultimately, it is arbitrary as it is with any state. Mm. Um, as to your second question, it's interesting insofar as that we we can see this continue to influence policy in some nations into the 19th and 20th centuries. I mean, in the immediate aftermath of all this, the fact remains that the original Ottoman emperors styled themselves um, Khazar al Rum," like. Caesar of Rome, okay. because they, on a certain level, saw themselves as also the legitimate continuation of the Roman Emperor ah, of the okay. Roman Empire, whereas um, the imperial house or a cadet branch of the Palaiologos house sold the imperial titles to Russia at one point. Russia, having basically been uplifted in medieval times, given religion, given culture, given ideas about what aristocracy and culture were. Mm by way of the Eastern Empire, um, sells it to them, and the Russian imperial family, up until its fall, also sees itself as a legitimate continuation of the Roman state, considers Moscow the third Rome, and we see that in the 20th century in Italy, too, with Rome trying to be the third Rome, again, mm. um, under Mussolini. Is, uh, that,
1: is that where the word tsar comes from?
2: Yes. Okay. Just like kaiser in German, they're all cognates for the same word.
0: Huh. They're all trying to be Julius Caesar. Yes. All right. Mm. That guy. Mm-hmm.
1: What a legacy. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So, so in the third season of RuPaul's Drag Race, yes, have you experienced <laughs> people who are, I guess, stealing and stabbing each other in the back and? Oh goodness, yes.
2: <laughs> um, all the time. It's kind of one of the high points and why. Um, They air as a companion piece to each episode RuPaul's Drag Race Untucked, which is um, (laughs) 20-minute episodes that take place during the judgment process for each episode, like when they're deciding who was the winner of that week's challenge and who's going to be eliminated, or rather— which two are going to have to lip-sync for their lives to determine who is going to be eliminated. Naturally. Yes.
0: That, that um, should have been a, a form of, like, capital punishment or, like, or at least, like, which determination in the Middle Ages. Absolutely. Lip-sync for your life.
2: Um, in which, you know, we, at that point, all of the contestants go backstage to the Interior Illusions Lounge, sponsored by Absolute Vodka. Um, and I believe <laughs> you have, they, You've been watching a lot of this TV show. Yes, I have. <laughs> and basically backbite for 20 minutes. Mm. Um, There is a lot of really, really questionable behavior and just people being dicks to each other. Mm. Mm. Um, Some of them are really nice. Some of them are not particularly catty unless when it's warranted, but a couple of them have definitely gone out of their way to uh, stab other people in the
1: back. I'm looking at you, Shangela. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, is Shangela the one with the corn?
2: Yes, Shangela is the one with the corn.
1: He was telling me about this the other day. There's this one drag queen who has, for reasons unbeknownst to us, entirely branded herself with corn. Okay. Yeah. Branded in what sense? Well, insofar as that
2: she has tried to incorporate corn into her looks, at least on the show. I don't know about her career after Drag Race. Right. Um With corn. Um, in fact, in between seasons two and three, since, spoilers, she gets brought back for season three, right. she had the time to go get these, you know, T-shirts printed with sort of her catchphrase, hallelu, um, with a corn exclamation point. Uh, okay. Um, she was eliminated in the first episode of season two, and the most memorable part about it was her attempt to wear what she, I believe, calls a corn sage, which is a corn corsage.
0: Um. <laughs> That seems like it's a very odd... I guess it's sort of that, that branding mentality of, like, brand yourself with something universal, mm-hmm. and then every time someone thinks of corn, they will think of you. Is that the, sort of the concept? I suppose so. And uh,
2: part of it was a consequence of that particular challenge. Like, they had to make dresses out of curtains, and the curtains she ended up with happened to be a color that would be complemented by, like, the look of dried corn.
0: All right. Yep. <laughs> sure. Yeah, you need a hook. Why not? Hmm. Do you when when you watch these sort of shows? Do you like? Can you sort of see the like the 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 social gaming that's going on within them? Like, and are are you are you someone who can so, sort of envision like all these all these steps that people are climbing over each other? Often, yeah. Um, admittedly, I don't usually go in for
2: reality shows. This mm. is a big exception for me, but it's just too much fun not to watch. I mean. Mm. Andres and I are both horrified by the degree to which we have opinions about this. (laughs) Um, We we cannot watch it without, you know, calling out poor choices in their dresses and applauding good choices in their dresses or like really getting invested in a good lip sync or a good performance and generally caring about certain people winning and. Caring about certain people getting their
1: asses kicked as soon as humanly possible. <laughs> that's, that's an amazing thing about reality TV. Mm-hmm. Like I used to watch Big Brother, yeah. a lot, and it's the same kind of thing where it's like I shouldn't be this invested in a bunch of people who don't know each other in a house being jerks, but I am.
0: I always <laughs> am. Well, did I, I? I'm not sure if I've told this story on the show, but the, I when like one of the people who was on uh, the finale of Canada's Smartest Person with me, I'm um, Alex. He's really into reality TV like he's applied for a bunch of them I think that's the only one he's been on but he like he loves um, Survivor in particular Mm -hmm. um, because one of his real like gifts like he's a mathematical genius he's like one of the top tech guys for RIM I think in in Waterloo Um, but he started out kind of in the like doing like computer science and kind of a low-level job Mm -hmm. and he saw in, in the business world, just he's he he he's got a really like a gift for like social sense. He could yeah. see when he went to business meetings, like all these dynamics playing out mm. and sort of exactly what he needed to do to to like climb up the ladder, yeah. which is something that I would totally, I would have no idea, <laughs> right? Um, but he can just see it. And that's also why he loves Survivor because where everybody else sees, you know, just heroes and villains and this sort of like, you know, they form opinions on who they want to who they want to get off and who they want to keep on. Mm-hmm. He can see especially in the villains this really complex strategy of yeah. of you know sticking around and and like saying exactly what they need to say to every mm-hmm. person. And to right. him it's absolutely fascinating to watch these social dynamics. Yeah.
1: Well um, that's the fun thing about competing on those shows is yeah. like figuring out how to manipulate yourself to the top. Yeah.
0: And the people who win are always the ones who do the best job at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah but i think most for for most of us and certainly for me whenever i've watched any reality tv it just goes right over my head mm. Mm. like i would it, it's just sort of a mystery to me that oh they decided to eliminate that guy that's weird huh. right That is what I like a little about Drag Race Mm. in that
2: it's often a lot clearer who the winner ought to be in any given Mm. challenge because there are so many different fields they're being tested on and a lot of them are ones you can readily recognize if something Mm. is not great. Like you can tell if somebody has done a crappy job of their makeup or if their dress legitimately looks like ass. Right. Right. Um, What What if ass is their brand? I mean that's different. I, it hasn't happened yet, but I certainly wouldn't put it past the show for it to happen along the down the line right um or like you can see if someone clearly throws like a lip sync or if someone does a really good job connects with it, and you can appreciate that like how they're bringing how they're bringing it as a performer right, right. so it's not like on something like Survivor where I suppose it does feel a little more arbitrary. Mm-hmm. Admittedly, I haven't seen Survivor since the original season, so I may
1: have a very vague understanding of Survivor past <laughs> survive somewhere. Well, I think though like they are kind of different types of show too, right? Mm-hmm. Like RuPaul's Drag Race, there is a social element to it, but at the end of the day, the people who decide who's going home are the judges. Mm-hmm. Whereas with something like Survivor or Big Brother, it's entirely chosen by the the competitors yeah but the the people yeah
0: the people who are competing are the ones who vote somebody out oh yeah so that makes it a really like your goal is to be yeah to be successful without Mm -hmm. being hated yeah i think or to be successful while still being needed by enough Mm -hmm. people right yeah i think it it very much you know caters itself to sociopaths probably who can like think very clearly about just (laughs) getting ahead at all costs Mm -hmm. but you know that's yeah. probably, And that's why a lot of the times the people who win are the people that are hated the most. Fair. And then you have to keep watching the show because they're going to bring <laughs> them back next season and you really want to see them go down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I always wonder how
1: I would do in that type of situation because I feel like I could potentially do a really good job of like manipulating those social situations, <laughs> but I want to believe that I wouldn't be good enough at it to win mm. because I feel like I'd have to be a terrible person to win. Yeah. And so
0: I'm, I'd be genuinely curious to try it out and see if I could like do it. And the other question is like how yeah if you think that now, how much would that change when you're actually there? Right, right. yeah. Like if you think now, I don't know if I could be that unscrupulous. When you're really pushed mm-hmm. and when, it, when you're sort of in a situation where it's expected of you mm. and you've got people in authority telling you, oh yeah, push this. And mm-hmm. also you've got the chance to win a million dollars. Yeah. How far are you willing to go? Well, and that's it. I feel like my my instinct
1: is to say that probably I would be willing to be as horrible as possible to win, and I would want to try it out to prove myself wrong, to mm. prove to myself that I'm a good enough person
0: to lose at, at a reality show. <laughs> I suppose, yeah, you could do that. I don't know if you... The problem is that if you find out that you are that type of person... You lose. Well, yeah. Yeah. You might wind yeah. up with a million dollars, but maybe you're, you hate yourself for the rest of your life. Right. It's basically a lose-lose situation. <laughs> Let's yeah. sign up to some reality shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lesson learned, children, don't mm. do
2: reality shows. Mm. I mean, unless you want to and you're with a responsible adult. I feel
1: like children <laughs> on reality shows is a whole other story. Do you guys um, do you guys remember Kid Nation? Kid, no, no, I do not. Kid Nation was I think there was one season. It was a failed attempt at starting a survivor-like reality show for like Kids for small mm-hmm. children, um, where basically they put them in this like old abandoned ghost town that was like kind of a western theme, uh, and they put them in teams of like four different colored teams, and they competed in like challenges for I don't know like immunity from getting kicked out, and also like your rewards and prizes and stuff. I don't remember anything about this really, mm-hmm. but my. Apparently, when this came out in like 2007, I was super pumped about it existing because so many of my Facebook posts from back then are about this show, and I can't remember it. Mm. I can remember vaguely what the show is about, and I know that 2007 Tom was
0: really into it, but I've got nothing. <laughs> I have never heard of it before this conversation. Me either. I mean, it's not terribly surprising because I watched very limited television in 2007. Mm-hmm. Mm. I was in the midst of c and just didn't. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Don't I the was, science guy wasn't on the air anymore. What was I going to watch? Right.
1: <laughs> whereas I was 14, so all I did was watch reality TV. <laughs> oh, that's were, fair. you were 14 mm-hmm. in 2007. You guys are old boys,
0: guys. Yes. If you're 14, maybe you'd like to support us on Patreon. <laughs> <laughs>
1: segways Get your parents' permission before using their credit card at Patreon.com/slash-up for discussion to give us all of your parents' money once that, a month.
0: That would be great. Yeah. Uh,
1: do we have anyone we have to shout out this week? Uh yeah, we actually do have a Patreon question this week. Uh it comes from Gabriel, who in the spirit of spooky Halloween, uh wants to know what we would carve on a pumpkin.
0: Hmm. There was a very good drum uh trumpkin I saw going around at baseball. Trumpkin? A trumpkin. It was uh it had a lot of the innards piled on top. <gasps> oh did see that, like hair. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was oh. nice. I kind the of I kind of enjoyed would be that. So bad. It's pumpkin. Pumpkin smells delicious. It really doesn't. Especially when it's got a candle inside. It's like slowly cooking. It starts rotting after Mm. a week. Nothing like a nice rotten pumpkin. Mmm. Delicious. Rotten pumpkin. Rotten pumpkin. Any. I've been
1: really enjoying a lot of the pumpkin memes that I've seen on the internet.
0: Are there pumpkin recently.
1: memes? Yeah. I was wondering the same thing. I saw one where the pumpkin had a real small face. I thought that
0: was delightful. Like the Instagram filter? What? Does that work? Or no, the Snapchat filter that like smooshes your face? Is that Whoa. where it comes from? Can you use Snapchat filters on pumpkins? Maybe. I'd like to. We could, we could make like a series of pumpkins that are just like carved Snapchat filters, like the dog face.
1: We could. We could get a bunch of pumpkins
0: and like we could put like the like rainbow stuff that like i don't know out of like one of the mouths with like glitter and like gigantic eyes i don't know like the candies candy, or like candy corn yeah or like candy corn definitely rainbow candy corn no like like the the bacon stuff the rainbow bacon stuff
1: rainbow bacon yeah have, have you ever like, seen
0: rainbow bacon it's like it's it's not actually bacon but it looks like bacon it's like strips of candy I have no idea what it, you're talking about. It looks about. exactly like the thing that comes out of the Rainbow Guy's mouth when he vomits. As a gay Jew, you should know exactly <laughs> what we're talking about. Unfortunately, I don't. Mm. I'll Google a
1: picture of, of Rainbow Bacon
0: or what other, what other Snapchat filters are there. I mean, uh, they're the actual like spooky ones, but that's boring.
1: They have uh, they just put up one that turns you into like Little Red Riding Hood, okay. and I used it on our Mark Garno poster. I saw Laver that. Room, that was, was really genuinely frightening. I enjoyed it.
0: You've never seen this. No, no, I
1: haven't. It's like vaguely sour and covered in like crystallized sugar. Oh, that
0: does sound
2: kind of familiar, but I would never have thought of it as rainbow bacon. It looks more like a really bad fruit
1: by the foot.
0: Yeah, I guess so. Oh God,
1: like it's it's gone rotten, and and that's yes. how it
0: happens. Yeesh. <laughs> and then like crystallized out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I guess you you could use you could use fruit by the foot too if you just do like strips of different colors of fruit by the foot.
1: You know what bothered me about fruit by the foot was that a lot of people called fruit by the foot fruit roll ups because it mm. rolls. And mm-hmm. It's not roll- the same thing. That was a different thing. It was yeah. a different thing.
0: Yep. I mean, they were the same thing. Mm-hmm. No, a fruit roll up was worse. They were they yeah, were Fruit roll up was same.
2: vaguely
1: fruit flavored actual rubber.
0: Yeah. Fruit roll up was <laughs> way
1: worse. They didn't taste the same. They were they <laughs> were, were just thicker. Delicious.
0: Like so they they didn't come apart as easily in your mouth. Mm. Yeah. But like if you ever ate if, if you ever did that thing where you take fruit by the foot and you roll it all out and then you roll the entire thing into a ball and eat it at once, <laughs> it was pretty much like eating a fruit roll up. <laughs> It's just, it's. I think it's more the quantity than the uh, the substance itself,
2: right? Yeah, I guess that's fair. Hmm. But because it's cut into wider strips, it tends to have a greater. What is the word I'm looking for? I am not a physicist, so I know that surface tension is not the word I'm thinking of. Um, um, um a greater, um, like you can pull on it more, and it's less likely to give. Um, plasticity,
0: yeah. yes, maybe that makes sense. Yeah, e- elasticity, perhaps. Like, I don't know.
2: One or the two, as opposed to because fruit roll up, fruit by the foot is cut into relatively thin strips to go into the roll. You can tear it apart a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Whereas fruit by fruit roll up, I know which products I'm talking about, was a lot harder to tear at. Yeah, it was That's basically true. a sheet. Yes,
1: and they a would sheet put like
0: fruit gum.
1: They would put those like those tattoos on them so mm-hmm. that you could like put it on your tongue for a couple seconds and remove it and have a thing on your tongue. Oh, you never put them on your skin. It. Is that what you were supposed to do with those? <laughs> I was always under the impression that you were supposed to put it on your tongue, show your friends and be impressive and then eat it.
0: I think I was under the impression that you were supposed to put them on your skin, but at the same time, that's really disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. I get, mean, like, either way, it's gross.
1: It. It's bad. It's wrong.
0: Well, not necessarily. Like on your tongue is the proper place for fruit roll up materials. But then you have to lick it and then remove it, right? <laughs> so that you just have this like
1: saliva dampened sheet of plastic candy. Right. I'm not
0: into it. It's like people who used to like get gigantic jawbreakers and then like eat a bit of it and Uh, put it on the shelf No and come back to it later. And then they show you photos week after week where they're like, look at how
1: much progress I've made on this gross (laughs) candy. Mm, People took photos of that kind of stuff? I was in high school a lot more recently than you were. That's (laughs) very true.
0: Uh, this is where Western civilization has come to.
1: Yes, apparently, <laughs> this is all we got from the Romans was bad candy practices and oh. RuPaul's Drag Race. You this gotta give them that. RuPaul's candy practices drawn directly <clears> from <throat> erotic pantomime.
0: Erotic
1: pantomime. I would. Uh, I would. I could get behind actually doing a series of pumpkins this year. Yeah. Do you want to get really into carving pumpkins next week? I know, but I. I like the idea.
0: All right. I all think right. that probably I will. Be stressed out and be like, I will make a pumpkin, and then that will be it. That's fair. But at the same time, I enjoy the idea of putting like fifty pumpkins all along our front lawn there. We do we have, a have a little bit lawn. of a front lawn. Yeah, just like bit of a lawn. Every Snapchat filter. Yeah,
1: I feel like that might be a fire hazard if we put candles in all of them.
0: We could uh, we could hook up some sort of Christmas
1: light setup. Oh yeah, yeah. run run Christmas lights through them. Mm-hmm, we could incorporate yeah. the Christmas lights into the design. Yeah. Mm. What if our pumpkins were reindeer?
0: Mm. What if we had a... Uh, Santa pumpkin? Seven small reindeer pumpkins? Seven... Snow White and the seven small reindeer pumpkins? Yeah, wait. How many reindeer does Santa Claus have? <laughs> There's definitely eight and nine if you count Rudolph. Mm-hmm. And ten if you count Olive. Drew Barrymore is not a reindeer, Tim.
1: That was a good movie. Someone <laughs> The other day someone <laughs> didn't know what I was talking about. That, I that was on the podcast, movie. I think. Was it we on the podcast? talking about Olive. Yeah, the the reindeer.
0: Reindeer. It, I could be wrong. I don't know. It might have been. Mm. That's a good movie. Mm. Sure. So I have a question about modern civil or sort of your take on modern Western civilization. Certainly, now. but you have um, to answer it in the form of a pumpkin. You don't have to answer it in the form of a pumpkin. I'm going to not yes and that statement. <laughs> 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 um, i've I've been I've been noticing like there's or pe- people talk about sort of this new isolationism that's happening in the west now mm. where sort of there's this this rise once again of the feeling that there is very much a western civilization that needs protecting from the the foreigners the whatever right yeah um you know whether it's the the, the trump stuff or the mm-hmm. ukip stuff or the you know this uh
2: well, a general sure. trend towards yeah. faci- towards fascism all across Europe,
0: but but the way but the way it's sold is more that like this is this is Western civilization. These are Western civilization's values, and those who don't share these values should not come in with their own civilization and sort of wreck. Yes, right. Um, so it it was interesting to me to hear you talk about sort of the the, I guess. I would call it the Byzantine Empire, but the, the 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 still actual Roman Empire, yeah, um, being that sort of bulwark that, in some sense, did, um, protect the West from yeah. others, right? So, what do you like having sort of studied that? What do you think of this this new trend to sort of erect new bulwarks, mm. physical or non physical? Well, um, in the form of a pumpkin. Lots of pumpkins. We will build a wall of pumpkins. (laughs) Yes, we
2: will. Um, In some ways, I think that this is a result of general economic trends that, as the market has turned down in the last decade or so, um, since 2008, really. And we see this all throughout history. When times get tougher, people get more protected and more protective of themselves and those people they care about. So... Ideologies like nationalism and ultranationalism, ideologies like fascism and xenophobia in general are relatively natural responses in the human animal in the face of relative hardship that as animals, we default to this idea of protect ourselves at the expense of all others. Mm. And as a society, we extend that beyond the self to our kin group and we draw a line at what actually constitutes that kin group whether it's your family whether it's a nation whether it's your brothers in religion but all of them sort of share that same distinction that there is an other and that that other regardless of its form should not be let in because right now we cannot quite manage ourselves and so we need to look after number 1
0: right
2: whether that is legitimate or not um i do not generally think it's legitimate Mm -hmm. uh, is a different question altogether. But certainly there is a a historical backing for people behaving and responding these ways um, like we're seeing today. The only difference is that we live in a much more globalized world where we can be aware of these changes and these trends in ways we never could have been even 10 or 20 years ago. And this has created a certain cynical atmosphere I think in that as people become more aware of it people feel more and more desperate because of it and as the people who are opposed to these trends begin to feel desperate it galvanizes those Mm -hmm. same nationalists those same xenophobic people those same people who are ultimately in their own minds performing an act of good in that they are trying to look out for the well-being of their country their people their whatever um To do exactly that, to try even harder, Um, it becomes—there's a word that I can't remember right now that would go perfectly in this sentence. Each side eggs each other on, and it becomes a kind of arms race. Mm. Um, Certainly today, where we can communicate so much faster, where we can share our opinions about things so much faster, and where public response and public opinion can form in a split second— to any given issue and immediately galvanizes both sides against each other further and further, widening that gulf that doesn't necessarily need to be there. Those are my thoughts, I suppose, Mm. on this
0: subject. Do you think that a a similar thing was happening sort of in in medieval Europe when they they got into this sort of let's go out and reconquer everything and protect ourselves from the, the encroaching... You know, Caliphate or whatever it was. Absolutely.
2: Um, and we see that in the entire culture of the Reconquista all over Iberia and in the national identities of Spain and Portugal and Navarre. I suppose they never, the Umayyad Caliphate never quite got as far north as Navarre. But certainly having the Caliphate to its immediate southern border would make for a worrisome culture. Um all of that, and, and we see it in France as well, France, which was always sort of the next step, and mm. there were incursions by the caliphate across the Alps and in southern France that they had to deal with, that Charlemagne fought in, that created a sense of hyper-awareness of there being an outside threat, and of a need to reassert those values that they themselves held near and dear. And it's why like we see such a huge contrast in the culture of Spain, for example, between Spain under the Caliphate and Spain after the Reconquista Mm. uh, in terms of its attitudes towards, for example, uh, practicing other faiths. Um, Since being a part of the greater Caliphate, there were infrastructures in place to allow for Jews, to allow for Christians to continue to practice. They paid a different tax in exchange for not being forced to serve in the army and so on and so forth. Um, That does not translate directly into the Reconquista because it was about ultimately reasserting themselves, that Mm -hmm. there was no place in their mind for the native and, air quotes, correct culture of this place um, under the caliphate. And this was about taking back what is in their minds rightfully theirs and reasserting a correct way of being. It's all out of a pursuit of what they believe to be The right way of living. And the right way of living in this one case constituted not having any Jews and not having any Muslims, except like in the University of Granada, which they didn't quite get rid of for a while. All right. Um, Granada is like super interesting. And their flag is a pomegranate.
0: Hmm. Oh. Yeah. Which came first, the Granada or the pomegranate? They're the same thing.
2: Oh, snap. Damn. Yeah. (laughs) Like it's why it's called grenade in several languages wow because French. grenades look like the inside of a pomegranate.
0: Oh, that's true. I always figured that the pomegranate was named because it looked like a grenade, but I guess that makes way more sense. Yes, surprisingly, Tim, we did not just discover the pomegranate in the 20th century. <laughs> that's that's fair. That's that's <laughs> very fair. <laughs> I don't know. Grenades could be old we had explosives for a while, right? I suppose so. I mean, we have people we would
2: call grenadiers in, like, the 19th century, but they're not wielding what we would classically think
0: of as being a grenade. In any say. case, I'm defending my ignorance, and I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> also,
1: there were... Are you kidding me with this There's shit? There's another... I'm not getting that one. You're not? getting that one. You're getting not that time. one. I was okay. going to say, in Isaiah, they talk about pomegranates in the temple.
0: Whoa. Well, <laughs> I <laughs> guess they History! probably they probably used a different word than pomegranate. Yes. Um, so, do you think of... um. Do you do you think that history has, has a sense of progress to it, like ultimately? Do you think or do you do you subscribe to more of like a circular understanding of, of like you know history constantly repeating itself?
2: I think that's hard to say. Um in certain areas, certainly, we can see um a linear progression. And even if that occasionally involves several steps backwards, mm. like um a when we're a messy random walk. Yeah. Yeah. Um In many ways, similar to evolution in general. Mm. I mean, when we look at, say, um, the Greeks of the 2nd century AD, who can produce things like the Antikythera mechanism, like a legitimate analog computer that can track the motions of any given celestial body they were aware of in relation to each other for any given date. All right. Ever. Wow. Yeah. It's a very, very exciting piece of technology. And, you know, that was produced... During the Roman Empire, um, the island of Rhodes was really big on tourist trappy clockwork contraptions, <laughs> um, like all around the turn of the turn into the common era. Um, the Greeks are manufacturing, you know, sort of the first gears and the first sort of clockwork devices to just be fun little signs that when the wind blows into them, they'll sing the direction at you.
0: As soon as we get technology, we make iPhones. Pretty much.
2: And then, you know, we don't do clockwork again in any real way for, like, between 8 and 1,100 years. Wow. Yeah. Um, So there are times where we'll have a big gap like that. And then we can really see a linear progression. We are certainly better at doing clockwork than we would have been 2,000 years ago. Very true. Um, And. Conveniently, that also includes a bit of a cyclical thing since we had to rediscover clockwork along the way and only recently realized that anyone ever did clockwork before we thought (laughs) of it the second time. Right. Um, But I don't think you can really look at the totality of history in a strictly linear way besides, you know, considering events in linear progression. That it's not as though things get better over time or they get worse over time or even... That they repeat. It's more free form. You don't really think of the evolution of a given species as necessarily being always for the best. Mm -hmm. Evolution doesn't care about that. History, in the same way, is simply the collection of facts, or at least the collection of opinions about what constituted a given time. And ultimately is colored very much by our own understandings of those events. And history is recursive that way, insofar as that those events, those peoples, those individuals that leave strong marks on history, ultimately color how we look at it. And in that same way, when we look at, say, the Renaissance, we are coming at it as people in the West from a particular perspective that presupposes the idea of a Renaissance because people before us presupposed the idea of a Renaissance because it became an integral understanding, an integral part of the understanding of that period and of our own progression because as individuals, we like to see progression in things and we like to look at things in a linear way, whether or not there was ever one to begin with. Mm. Um, As for cyclicality, yes, yes. In broad terms, many things do repeat themselves, but that's more because all things work in trends, and the social sciences, like the physical sciences, can often work along certain laws. Mm. Um, in culture, as much as in fluids, nature abhors a vacuum, and things will move in sometimes predictable ways, even though ultimately the finer points of
0: that are up to the individual players at any given moment. mm well, I think one thing that's interesting about cultural evolution is that it occurs at, like, compared to the speed of biological evolution, it, it just leapfrogs it, right? Yes. So you, you can see massive advances in, in technology mm-hmm. and, um, you know, all these, these measures of progress, but the human brain has not changed yes. since, you know, the Egyptian empires of mm-hmm. you know, 5,000, whatever, 7,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, We are the same animal, right? Yes. So... It's interesting to me that sort of the ultimate question of when this very flawed animal who which is only like the least amount of intelligent it has to be to have developed these things develops all of these things yeah. and sort of reaches ultimate power. Mm-hmm. Do we survive that or do we end up it, it you know is is, the, is it possible for there to be an ultimate upward trend when we're stuck here on this very slow march of like biological mm-hmm. evolution. Or is ulti- or do we ultimately hit a peak and come crashing back down to the start? Well, that is one of the great
2: questions. It's ultimately, I think, impossible to tell because we're stuck in the
1: thick of it. We haven't we got there yet. Exactly. <laughs> we'll yeah. know when we get there, I suppose. <laughs> I hope. Fingers crossed, maybe. But, but I guess the only way to know if we'll ever crash is to crash. And when we crash, we will have crashed. Yep. Exactly. And I think a lot of us carry that with
2: us in our daily lives. We do what we can not to fail because... We can't conceive of failure any more than we can conceive of death. Mm. We just need to keep moving forward.
0: Yeah, man. However, best we can. If I had to go back and live with my parents, man, <laughs> <laughs> that's my that's my failure on my in my own stupid little head.
1: Oh, I thought you were saying that's the closest thing you can conceive of to death. To death. <laughs> I was like, that's harsh. Your I'm parents. Sorry, are mom and dad. Uh, oh man. Well.
0: Well... So who's at the door? It was our upstairs neighbor. Oh.
1: Yeah. She wanted to say hi and meet us finally.
0: That's good. Well, yeah. she met oh. you. Yeah. Hello, upstairs neighbor. I presume you can still hear us through the ceiling. So hi. I think hi.
1: She's, she's out now. All right,
0: <laughs> cool. <laughs> um,
1: well, thank you, Alex, for dropping by. Alex, this has, been, this has been
0: fascinating. Thank you. This has been we'll have an have you back education. anytime.
1: Awesome. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you guys liked this show... Head over to iTunes and give us a rate and review. It doesn't even matter what you rate the show, but please consider giving us a five stars out of five. If you are so inclined, please head to patreon.com slash discussion and pledge to give us a little bit of money. everything helps. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Downlit Talking at Tom Latin I, at Acapella Science. Alex is not on Twitter and does not want you to find him, so don't. Please don't. He's dancing real good. Uh, and check out... Um, check out RuPaul's Drag Race. Please do. Mm -hmm. So to go understand what we were talking about a little bit on the show. If you're in Rome, do as the Romans do. Lie and steal and stab each other in the back. Always. I need to pee. Bye. Two weeks in a row with the peeing. (laughs) i (laughs) timing. Tom, how's your bladder? doing? (laughs) need (laughs) to pee.